We're just going to deal with the first ten verses this morning. Um, we are going to spend a fair amount of time in chapter ten, similar to what we did in uh, eight, but not what we did in nine. So, hear the word of our God. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them all, uh, brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Father, help us to receive your word like the Thessalonians did, not as if it were the word of man, but as the very word of God. Help us to submit our minds, our affections and will to its authority. Help us to rejoice in the hope that we have in Christ as he has revealed to us in the gospel that we might turn from our idols to serve the living God through faith and in love. In the name of Christ, our Savior, through faith in his incarnation, obedience, death, resurrection, and ascension, we pray. Amen. One of the fun things about moving is that stuff gets lost. It takes you a few years to find certain things. And so uh, I was delighted when we discovered our photographs. There was a bunch of, you know, those things. Uh, long ago, and you took a picture, and you sent it in the mail to get developed, and you got these pictures back. Some of you don't remember these things. Well, we still had some of those hanging around, and we found them recently. And so I've uh, been adding to my collection that's on Facebook. And one of the great things, great collections, so to speak, that I found was more pictures of my trip to Scotland and England. Back in 99, after I graduated with my second degree in, at seminary, I decided to give myself a treat since I had an actual job. Uh, I wanted to, I'd always wanted to go to England and Scotland. So a couple of friends and I all went. And so got all these pictures, and it's bringing back all the memories as I think about our, our journey. And uh, sprinkled in all these pictures are sheep. If you've been in Scotland and you've gone north of the cities, you will eventually run into sheep. Sometimes it's a couple of sheep. Sometimes it's a lot of sheep. Remember when we were, we were on our way down this one path. Basically, that's what this road was. It was a one-lane road through all of these different flocks. And uh, 
other cars were coming, there were these little passing places. Okay, so you would kind of move over and wait for the other car to, to come through. But the sheep didn't care, you see. <laughs> Though normally timid and easily frightened, they don't seem to be very frightened by the automobiles. And they would have to honk the horn, try to get the sheep out of the way. It's good to kind of be there and, and see sheep and to see sheepfolds. And so I have a little, a tad more experience as we come to this passage and as we think about sheep, sheepholds, and shepherds. One of the things that I didn't see when I was in Scotland was shepherds, those Scots. They had abandoned those sheep. The big idea this morning as we think about these things is that Jesus provides abundantly for God's flock. And those are sort of the ideas that are going to keep popping to the surface. That God has a flock, that Jesus is the shepherd, and that he provides abundantly. Let's start with the reality that Jesus is what I'm calling the legitimate shepherd of God's flock. We'll see why that is uh, an issue of controversy, so to speak, in Jesus' day as he tells this. Now, as various commentators look at chapter 10, what a lot of them do is notice the, the shifts Jesus makes. Because within this text, he's talking about how he is the door, how he is the shepherd. And so they think that, that this is really a compilation of various sayings of similar themes that have been stuck together and John has placed them in chapter 10. That is really a lousy way to think about this chapter. Okay? Jesus usually does not start off any discussion with truly, truly. Chapter 10 begins with a truly, truly. So it makes far more sense of this passage, all of chapter 10, to see it as a continuation of, the, of what had happened at the very end of chapter 9. We want to think of this chapter in light of the fact of the man born blind that was healed by Jesus, who was interrogated by the Pharisees, excommunicated from the local synagogue, and Jesus had met him. And Jesus had said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And Jesus had welcomed in the man that the Pharisees had cast out. And then there was that conflict that Jesus had with the Pharisees at the very end, thinking that they themselves could see Jesus pronounce them guilty. Let's keep that in mind as we begin to go into chapter 10. Okay, I believe it is the same conversation continued from the end of chapter 9. Now, most of us, as anyone here, tended sheep. See? Not even Enid has tended sheep. Oh, okay, Diane, good. A couple or a lot? A lot. Oh, my. Did you have a sheep fold? A sheep pen? Yes. Okay, did you share your sheep pen with other flocks? No. Okay. In the ancient Near East, they often had a more communal sheep pen. Okay? Uh, or there would be, it would be either the village's sheep pen or if it might be out in the fields because, of course... Uh, during the season when you're way out in the, in the fields and on the mountains in the summer, you don't come all the way back to town every night, and so there was uh, a sheep pen that would be out there. And so 
Every night, the various shepherds would bring their flocks, they'd bring them into the sheep pen, and there was one guy who was chosen who would be the gatekeeper or the doorman or the porter, or every term you want to use for him. And he would be there guarding the sheep at night. Now, the walls of the sheep pen, and I saw a fair number of them, and they weren't this tall in Scotland. Maybe they have uh, uh, shorter predators. I don't know. But the, uh, the, sh- the walls in the ancient Near East were usually about 10 or more feet in order to protect the sheep from predators because predators jump. Shortly before the Hesses moved away from uh, here in Arizona at, at the, the Air Force Base and to his new call and uh, his new station, rather, in New Jersey, they, were, they got these two little puppies. And they were cute little puppies. I can't remember the puppies' names. And one night, Doug Hess, uh, you know, early morning, he was up, let the puppies out because they weren't house-trained yet. So he lets them out to do their business, and he hears some sort of commotion out back, and he rushes outside, and there's only one puppy. A coyote had jumped the wall, grabbed a puppy, and jumped back over the wall. And so later on that day, he noticed the coyotes kind of hanging around by the wall, kind of waiting for part two of their meal to emerge. That is why the walls were so high. Lions and other predators could jump and uh, take away part of the flock. But it wasn't just lions and bears and other predators that they were afraid of. It was also thieves. And so Jesus says that um, those who enter by the door are the shepherds. Those who climb the walls, so to speak, are thieves and robbers. So at night there was a doorman, a gatekeeper, and he provided access. He watched the door, and he also was supposed to pay attention to the walls to make sure nothing would happen out there. But he would know all of the shepherds. And so when one of the shepherds would come, he would let he would know, yes, this guy has sheep here, and he would let him in to the sheepfold. And uh, oftentimes there was more than one door uh, into the sheepfold. Um, there's the one the sheep used and the one the shepherd used. You don't want to have to open a big door to let the shepherd in because you don't want the sheep to go out. And in, in Scotland, when we got to the uh, Orkney Islands, what was interesting was that there were all of these, um, the st- well, the stones of Stennis. So they were similar to Stonehenge, all of these stone things. And they're historical sort of monuments. And you see you know, the, 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 the writings you know, give you information about these things, and there's actually a sheep pen around the stones of Stennis. And so you have to go through the sheep door, similar to when you go to any of the zoos around here, you go to a bird exhibit, How it's a double door, so the birds won't get out. Well, similar sort of thing for the sheep, the shepherd to get in, don't want the sheep to get out while the shepherd is trying to get in. So the doorman identifies who belongs and only lets in those who belong. Those who climb the wall or sneak in through another gate are, as Jesus says, thieves and robbers. Two different words, two different implications. One, thieves are are more practiced their art by stealth. They're sneaky. They're going to try and climb the wall when no one is looking and try and maybe toss a sheep over, although that would probably not be very quiet, I imagine. Um, Not sure how exactly you steal a sheep, uh, you know, with a 10-foot wall, but 
I've never tried and don't want to try. The robbers are those who are prone more towards violence. They would be the one who would be more likely to try and overwhelm the gatekeeper in the midst of the night. Muggers, for instance. So on the one hand, you have sort of the confidence man or the pickpocket, uh, the person who wants to make sure that there's no one, you know, breaks into a house when no one is there. The other word has the idea of the person who uses force, a home invasion, something like that. Robbery, mugging. Jesus does not speak fondly of these people, apparently. Okay. It is then that Jesus clarifies their identity, but not necessarily in a way that we would find clear. All who came before me are robbers and thieves. We must not take this in an absolute fashion. Jesus is not saying that the prophets and Moses were robbers and thieves. That's not what he's saying. He's he's speaking more clearly to the the present circumstances of the people of Israel at that time, although they had also experienced this in previous generations. He is speaking, I imagine, about the Pharisees. It's not their flock. They're trying to act like it's their flock, but it's not their flock. They might act like gatekeepers, but it is not their gate to keep. They have not been authorized by God to do these things. They were not the prophets, the priests, or the kings. Okay, They were lay people, very vigilant lay people. But what Jesus wants others to understand, and he wants them to understand, is that there is a real shepherd, and they're not him. As my office this morning, and I was pondering this, the words of Al Haig came to mind. At least someone remembers. When Reagan was shot, who's second in command? What happens if the president is injured or unable to fulfill the duties of his office? The next person in the chain of command is the vice president, which at that point would have been George Bush. But instead, there is Al Haig at a press conference going, I am in control now. (laughs) Usurping authority and position. Okay? These Pharisees are like Al Haig, usurping authority and position over God's flock. And Jesus is calling them out. We have this question, or at least we ought to have this question. Who is the gatekeeper? Unfortunately, my mind went to Ghostbusters, but I will not bore you with that. (laughs) That was half the movie, was looking for the gatekeeper. Who is the gatekeeper? Who is it that that is supposed to recognize the authentic shepherds in Jesus' parable here, or his metaphor? John the Baptist. John, who was sent specifically to identify as the forerunner who the Messiah was. He knew that was his role, and we see that in the first two chapters of John's Gospel. It is John the Baptist. He says, Behold, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John, who says, I am not the Christ, but there is one coming whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. John 
is the gatekeeper. John is the one who noticed the legitimate shepherd who was coming for God's flock. And John 6, in all of this, Jesus talking about the Son of Man mentions, who is himself, of course, for him, on him, God the Father has set his seal. Jesus has been sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit to be the servant of the Lord, the shepherd of the sheep, the son of David who comes to be the shepherd of God's flock. He is the Son of God. As we see in Galatians chapter 4, for this purpose He came in the fullness of time. For this purpose He was born of a woman. For this purpose He was born under the law in order to fulfill the law and to redeem us, to make us God's children as adoption of sons. He came to be the shepherd of the sheep. And so it is important for us to remember that we are to follow and to look for no other shepherd. For Christ alone has the authority over the sheep. All I am is a sheep who is an under-shepherd. All I'm to do is to speak what the shepherd has told me to say. I have no authority of my own. And if I seek to take authority of my own, I become just like the Pharisees. I don't want to be a Pharisee. And so Jesus wants them and now us to understand that there is a flock and that there is only one shepherd, and that shepherd is Jesus. So secondly, let's see that God's flock listens to the voice of Jesus, the shepherd. See, not only does the gatekeeper, uh, the gatekeeper, <laughs> I don't know what a gatekeeper is, not only does he recognize the shepherd, but the sheep also recognize the shepherd. Remember, there's more than one flock in there. And so when a shepherd comes and they open the door and he begins to call, only his sheep follow him, not the rest of the sheep. Jesus reminds them. They, all would all, they know all this. They're used to the idea of sheep. Sheep recognize the voice of their own shepherd. Additionally, in that place and that time, and this, it, sometimes this still happens, except in Scotland where apparently there are no shepherds, the, the shepherds used particular calls for their sheep. Okay? They knew each sheep they had. They called the, the sheep by name. Okay, If you go to Scotland, what you'll notice, uh, instead of branding, some guys went crazy with, with paintball guns. Apparently that was the original purpose of paintball guns, to mark sheep. And so you know, you, when, we, when we're driving down that one-lane road, you'll see you know, some sheep with blue and some sheep with green and some sheep with yellow as all these flocks are kind of intermingled and you're not sure who, you know, that's how they know what sheep belongs to what ranch. Okay? But then each, sheep would know, each shepherd would know his sheep, call them by name, and they would come to him. Unless, of course, at that moment, like sometimes sheep can be, they were being recalcitrant. But we're not going to talk about that just yet today. Jesus, we see in the Gospels, is often calling people by name. 
He's issuing specific calls to people. For instance, Matthew 9, 9, And Jesus passed on from there and saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. That's an interesting encounter. If some strange guy just came up to you while you're doing your job, which was a very lucrative job, by the way, and said, follow me, what are you likely to do? Say, who in the world are you? But he recognized the voice of his shepherd and followed unto life. You see the same thing. Luke chapter 19, verse 5 And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, the guy in the tree, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And if we follow that passage, we see that salvation came to the house of Zacchaeus that day. They recognized the voice of their shepherd. Jesus reminds them, that the sheep do not know the stranger's voice. They will not follow the voice of the thief or the, the voice of the robber. But instead, Jesus says, they will flee from him. They'll run away. Stranger danger. We want to talk about it with kids. It's an unfamiliar person, not the one they know that takes care of them. And so they are frightened and run which is really the only thing sheep can do, okay, is run. They bite, but they're not that bad. Let's think about this for a second. In light of what happened in John 9, the man born blind ran away from the Pharisees. They were grilling him. They were interrogating him, and he does not respond to their voice positively, but he resists their voice. He recognizes that there's something wrong, that he does not belong to them. And so they cast him out. But what happens when Jesus comes? The man born blind responded to the call of faith that Jesus issues. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he goes, where is he that I might believe in him? I am the one, Jesus says. You have seen the Son of Man. And so he says, I believe. He rejected the voice of the Pharisees. He receives the voice of Jesus, the Messiah. What Jesus was doing in his earthly ministry was calling out the elect of Israel from the pen that is Israel. Those who had been given to him, as we've seen in various places here in John's Gospel, came out when he called. Paul talks about this idea in Romans 11. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. I was talking about national Israel. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, he quotes one of those passages we brought up last week in talking about the blindness, the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees and much of Israel. Right there. And so there's this group, those the elect, those that the Father has given to the Son that, can pro, that are part of the flock of God. And when Jesus calls in his earthly ministry, they leave 
Israel, so to speak, and unite themselves to him as their shepherd. That's what's going on. That's what Jesus is talking about in this place. Okay, and we'll, we'll get to the Gentiles in later weeks. Okay, so <clears throat> observe the balance that we find here in this passage. On the one hand, we see that Jesus calls by name, but we also see that he leads all his own. And so Jesus is here preserving uh, that balance between, he's recognizing individual election and individual salvation, but also he's recognizing that you are part of or brought into a larger entity or community than yourself. He saves each sheep particularly, but he brings those saved sheep into one flock. We have to balance these things. Okay, Some people focus on the individual nature of salvation and to such a degree that it's marked by individualism. And very dangerous things happen because people think they don't need the body. They begin to think they don't need the rest of the flock, but they do. And sometimes we can, be, we can so focus on, and we, this is more the, the problem of covenantal people like us, is that we can so focus on the, the body that we forget about individual sheep. Jesus was concerned about both, and we need to be concerned about both. Uh, while the ladies were spying it up the other night, some of the guys were at my house were watching a movie, and it was uh, t- called To End All Wars. And it was about a Japanese prison camp, and there were a bunch of Scottish, again, um, prisoners of war. And they were wrestling with the idea of Bushido, the f- cultural frame of reference that the Japanese guards had that the soldiers had to adapt to. And in that, Code of Bushido, the individual is but a feather, meaningless, unimportant. If it gets sacrificed, who cares? What really matters is the whole. Okay? For the Scots, what mattered was the individual. Jesus calls us to believing that both the individual and the community, matter. Both are important in this. The elect sheep will listen to Jesus the shepherd, who is also the prophet that we've seen pop up before in John's gospel here. Some people call Jesus the prophet. We see that in Deuteronomy 18.15, that they were supposed to listen to this prophet We see again in Numbers 27, uh, verse 16 and following, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them. Sounds amazingly like a shepherd, doesn't it? Who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. Moses there in in Numbers 27 is anticipating the day in which he is going to die 
And he wants to make sure that the people of Israel are not like sheep without a shepherd. And so he asked that God would provide a shepherd, a man who would lead them into the promised land. And of course, that was Joshua. Joshua functions as a type or foreshadowing of Jesus. Joshua is the Hebrew equivalent of Jesus. Okay, when we read in the New Testament Jesus, what we're reading is the Greek translation of the name Yeshua or Joshua. Okay? Jesus is greater than Joshua ever was. But he fulfills a very similar role in gathering the sheep of God and leading them as a faithful shepherd is supposed to lead the sheep, protecting them. But there's an implication there for us. When Jesus speaks, do we listen? Apparently when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. When Jesus speaks, the only ones who listen are those who belong to him. Do we listen to his promises regarding the future? Do we listen to his warnings? Do we pay heed to his commands? If we have a living and saving faith, we will. We'll listen to him. And so the the flock listens to his voice and follows him as he leads them out and leads them in. Again, he leads not just individual sheep, he leads the whole flock. So as the legitimate and exclusive shepherd, Jesus calls the flock who recognizes him as their own. Third thing, that Jesus came to abundantly bless God's flock. Jesus also says, I am the door of the sheep. Okay, This refers, of course, to the door that the sheep used to go in and to go out. He's talking about access to the Father. He is the only way, as, John, uh, as Jesus said in John 14, which we read this morning, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is not just a door. Jesus is the door. There is no other. He is the exclusive one through whom we must go to have fellowship with God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. Those and only those who go through that door have salvation. Those who refuse to enter or exit through that door do not have salvation. Instead, they belong to a different flock, which will have a different future we think of restricted access. Those of you who work at Raytheon are very familiar with this. But there, it happens in other places. You have to have your little ID card. When I worked at the hospital, I had my little ID card. There were certain places I could go. I'd have to swipe my card to get access into those places. No one has access to the Father except through Christ. It's his retina scan that gets us in. It's his fingerprint or thumbprint that gets us in and gives us access. We do not have it on our own. Only in as much as we are united to Jesus do we have access. Are we brought in to experience these things? This is important for us, as we, particularly as we think about sheep. 
Sheep are dumb. Very dumb. Sheep will graze in the same spot even after the grass is gone. They need someone to lead them from good place to pasture to good place to pasture. They will not basically find it on their own. God didn't make them that way. Probably so we could learn from them. (laughs) They're not like ants. Okay. Not only that, they are utterly defenseless and they need a shepherd to protect them and save them. Not just from predators, but sometimes just from themselves. Sheep, of course. Wool grows. What do you think happens if you have lots of wool and you walk through the wilderness? You will accumulate things. (laughs) Branches, twigs, leaves, all kinds of things you don't want to accumulate. And what happens is that sometimes a a sheep will tip over and fall. Now, those of you who grew up in places like Iowa probably practiced uh, cow tipping. Okay, cows can right themselves. A sheep gets unbalanced. It can't right itself. It can't flip over. It just lays there with its little legs in the air, bleeding helplessly, waiting for the shepherd to come and uncast the sheep. They're called cast sheep. Sheep are incredibly, absolutely dependent upon their shepherd. And if they have a bad shepherd, they are not going to thrive, they're not going to prosper, they're not going to flourish, but they will slowly perish. That's where Jesus once again returns to the contrast he has with the Pharisees, with the thieves and the robbers. The thief, he says, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. In other words, he does not love the sheep, he uses the sheep. Back in a different time, in the time of Ezekiel, we see, as we read from Ezekiel 34, that Israel has had a series of bad shepherds, those who got fat on the sheep, those who did not protect the sheep but saw them merely as tomorrow's dinner. The only reason I'm going to fatten them up is so they can fatten me up. They didn't love the sheep but saw the sheep as a means to an end. That's what Jesus is saying about the Pharisees. They didn't love the sheep. They just saw the sheep as a means to an end. And today there still are people who are robbers and thieves in the church who only see the people of God as a means to fatten themselves up. You know who they are. You've heard about them. Unfortunately, there are so many sheep like slaughter that go to listen and be fleeced by them every week or every day on TV. Jesus does not like those people. Zechariah 11 is another one of those passages in the Old Testament. For behold, verse 16, I am raising up in the land a shepherd Catch this, though. Who does not care for those being destroyed or seek the young or heal the maimed or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hoofs? Judgment. When the people of God go astray, God often gives them a bad shepherd. 
And God had given the people of Israel the Pharisees. The Pharisees who verbally abused the man born blind. The Pharisees who excommunicated him. But we see instead, while they brought him death from their perspective, while they sought to destroy him by casting him out to Satan, we see instead Jesus brings the man life as his true shepherd. And so Jesus brings true life to all of his sheep so that they might have not just meager life, but abundant life. Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 23, particularly verses 1 and 2. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And so Jesus leads his sheep to places of spiritual abundance. We might not be materially prosperous, but he brings us to places where we can thrive spiritually. This is not about money, but it's about redemption. It's about the grace of being adopted as, his, as the sons of God. It's about sanctification. It's about the grace of assurance. It's about these sorts of things. As God works by His providence to make us more and more like Christ so that we drink more and more of the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places that have been provided for us in Jesus. That's what He's leading us into. That's what He leads His, his whole flock into. That's what he leads particular Christians into. And we watch while so many people destroy themselves, run themselves ragged, chasing life which is only found in Christ. And sometimes, like a foolish sheep, we sometimes jump on that rat race too we sometimes forget that our life is wrapped up in Christ. And we start to live a little bit like the world, forgetting who we are, that spiritual amnesia we talked about in Colossians. And so from an, in terms of our earthly circumstances, we suffer because we've, we lose a, our focus on Christ and begin to think that we provide for ourselves. Or we look to something besides Jesus to provide for us. This man who was cast out alone finds friendship, finds grace, love, acceptance, and hope from Christ. So I want to remind you again, I've already said this, but I'm going to say it again. You don't belong to me. I can never think that you belong to me. And you can never think you belong to me either. It is Christ. Christ alone who is the true shepherd of the sheep of God. We must remember that all the time so that we actually look to Him to lead us. We look to Him to provide for us, to care for us, to protect us by whatever means He chooses to use. So Jesus is the only or exclusive legitimate or authorized shepherd of God's flock. Jesus alone can provide them with salvation and good pasture so that they thrive. Many people try to shepherd the flock as their very own to fatten themselves up instead of fattening up the sheep. Those, as we've seen, who are His, know His voice. 
They follow him as he leads the flock. So brothers and sisters, let us continue to follow him. Let us continue to receive the many spiritual blessings that he has for us. Let us remember always that we were not meant to fend for ourselves spiritually. And as we spend more time in in John 10, may we continue to humble ourselves as we recognize our utter dependence upon a perfectly good shepherd who is marked by steadfast love for his sheep. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have sent us a good shepherd. One who, as we will see, was laid his life down for the sheep who did not run when danger came near, but one who sacrificed one who's concerned not with himself, but with the sheep. Father, help us to understand better what it means that he is our shepherd as individuals and as a congregation. Teach us in the weeks to come. More than that, help us to experience more of that. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.